0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton,
1: originally airing on Sirius XM.
2: Hello, welcome back. I'm Kent Smithers, a professor here at the Wharton School, and you're listening to your money. Business Radio Sirius XM 132. For the rest of the show, you know the routine by now of a financial planner with me, taking your calls about your own financial situation. So if you want to know how to invest your money, save for retirement kids, college, paying down debts. Maybe grandma just left you a bunch of money and want to know what to do with it. Uh, anything about your money, just give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's 1 844 942 7866. Again, live on Tuesday. So grab the phone, give me a call here at 1 844 Wharton, and we'll answer your question about what to do with your own money. Welcome back to the show, Ara Agorian, who's the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management in the Los Angeles, California area. He founded Cap Asset Management in 2000 nine, has over 26 years of experience in the financial service uh, industry. And uh, welcome back to the show, uh, Ara.
1: Thank you. Thank you
2: again for having me back. And uh, if you have a question for Ara myself, again, give me a call here at one Wharton. That's 1-844-942-7866. i will go back to the phone lines in just a second here. Before doing that, Ara, just remind us a little bit about your firm. And if you have a typical client, what's your or she like?
1: Great. So, uh, like all of your advisors that are on the show, we are a fee only financial planning firm, but we're a little bit unique in that we're also a CPA firm. So, we're a full service CPA firm, and we're unique in that we focus mostly on the healthcare market. So, over 95% of our clients are physicians, medical groups, nurses, anyone really under the umbrella of healthcare. That's what primary client uh, uh, profile would like.
2: Excellent. And, uh, so if you're a listener and you're coming from the medical industry, there are certain needs that are special to you, now is a great time as well to call uh, again uh, here with Ari Gorian, the founder of, pre, and president of ACAP Asset Management Los Angeles, Ca- California. Live on Tuesdays. Grab the phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four wharton That's one Let me go to Dave calling from California. How can we help you, Dave?
1: Good afternoon. I wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the Schwab Intelligent Portfolio. They say there's no fees involved; it's all ETS.
2: Right, and so, in particular, what is it that you're uh, you're concerned with? Is it the, the fees? What 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 is it? Or
1: well, I've been doing a, a managed portfolio through Schwab, but our investor. Didn't really promote it, but kind of suggested that it's something that we might want to do because there is no fees. It's my understanding they hold a little bit more cash in reserve, and then Schwab uses that to kind of offset the no fees.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, do, do keep in mind that you're you're being uh, investing. Um, you know, still their hope, their hope is that they will invest in certainly in their their ETFs that they provide. So you will be paying an operating expense associated with their ETFs. But of course, ETFs are pretty cheap, and you know, it's just it's a way of them trying to gather uh, assets. All right, I mean, this is very related to you know, uh, robo advisor in, in general. This is, happens to be Schwab's. You know, um, own take uh, on it. Certainly, they've gathered a lot of assets this way. Uh, Fidelity has one. Lots of groups now have one. Y- your thoughts about this?
1: Uh, sure, yeah. I'm a little bit familiar with Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. Um, you're right. They do have a little bit more cash on hand than most other uh, automated portfolio strategies. We like the Schwab funds. They're very, very low-cost, uh, the Schwab ETFs. They're very low-cost and very easy to trade them. Uh, the one thing you're not getting is uh, is uh, advice or financial planning aspect of it. So if that's not important for you, then I think the Schwab Intelligent Platform at no cost is a good choice. As long as you're not looking for any type of advice or any type of uh, more complicated structuring with your portfolio. If that's the case, then that's, I think it's a good option.
2: Yeah, in, in particular, you know, my take on this, Dave, is you know, it, it, like all robo advisors, that it, it, very simple in the approach, looking at your time horizon. Uh, your goals and t- risk tolerance. Um, th- don't get me wrong, those, those are certainly uh, important factors to consider, although I'm not a big fan of risk tolerance uh, because I'm w- w- much more concerned with risk capacity, one's the capacity to actually take on risk rather than what they actually say, which we know is often unreliable. Uh, but in any case, the, uh, if you're okay with kind of a, a more simple approach, that's, that's one thing. Um, you know, uh, it, it, since it is, there's no additional, costs associated with it. Um, you know, I usually say if you're paying an additional 25 basis points, might as well just hire an advisor, even if on an hourly basis. So if you just have a simple plan, better to pay a couple hundred bucks to get a, you know, a, it's just general advice than, you know, even pay 25 basis points um, on a, you know, $50,000, $100,000. Uh, but if you, you know, you, you can get this access to uh, no additional marginal costs. You know, I don't think it's a big problem playing with it and so forth. I, I what I will say is that I don't think it's a substitute for a real financial planner who's going to be looking at other things besides um, just f- figuring out um, you, you know the right investment uh, uh, mix for you. They're they're going to be probing uh, questions, ha- helping you tease out goals that you you weren't probably aware of. Also, sometimes looking at risk management issues, especially if you're married, have kids, you want to be thinking about insurance and the estate planning. All those things that an advisor can probe, they're, they're basically getting, uh, helping you figure out questions that you don't really uh, know to ask yourself. Uh, and so there's tremendous av- value. Even if you go that route, I would still think about maybe hiring an advisor just on an hourly basis to just, you know, spend an hour or two. It's worth a few hundred bucks just to try to figure out, um, you know, do some double checking and validation that way. So thanks so much for calling, Dave. Really appreciate it. And again, speaking of our Igorian, who's the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management in the Los Angeles, California area. Give us a call. I love to answer your questions here at 1 844 that's 1 844 942 786. And of course, you know, another value of advisor is sometimes behavioral, stopping you from doing bad things, including selling in the down market and, and buying in the up market. Let me go to Annie calling from New Jersey. How can we help you, Ann, or is it Annie?
0: Yeah, hi, Anne. Okay, I yeah. am 62 years old, and um, I won a position for retirement, and unfortunately I got distracted and I'm not as strong as I'd like to be. Sure. I have a disability policy that covers me to age 65. Mm-hmm. Um, I pay 410 a quarter, so it's almost, uh, you know, 1800 bucks. How do I determine, it's got a 90-day elimination, how do I determine if it's worth keeping or not? Yeah. I'd rather take the premiums and be able to start saving
2: them. Let me ask you this. Is is the DI policy, is it through your work, or do you have it on the side?
0: It's my personal policy.
2: Your personal policy, okay. Um, and how how many years have you had this?
0: 20.
2: 20. And is it a participating policy, and that is they can increase? It usually is, but I just want to verify it this.
0: Can, it, it can increase, but I've never increased it because I used it more for, you know, a catastrophic loss. I had...
2: Sure. Well, no, that's I the coverage. I never did. Yeah, that's the coverage side. But for a given amount of coverage, have, is that four ten, bit, was it lower in the past that you're paying per quarter? Has it crept up over time? No,
0: it's the same. Price. Okay. So they never increased the coverage.
2: Okay, they never increased the coverage. But in particular, even for a fixed amount of coverage, sometimes depending on the, the nature of the policy, the, the, the plan the plan fee could increase uh, over time. But you're saying you've been paying four hundred ten dollars a quarter for the last twenty years. Okay. So, all right. Yeah, obviously, you know, we want to understand something like, you know, Anne's health. We didn't really probe that and so forth. I'm assuming and that you're in pretty standard health for a 62-year-old if you're... You know, high risk of uh, you know a health issue. You probably wouldn't be calling to, to, to talk about maybe canceling your DI policy. Um, so, someone who is in kind of a normal health for a 62 year old, thinking about retiring anyway, age 65, presumably jumps on Medicare at that point. Uh, your thoughts, Ara, is you know, on one hand, if this is a level premium policy uh, on an actuarial basis. She, she may have overpaid early and is underpaying now, um, and therefore maybe doesn't want to lapse the policy, but you, you're, But at the same time, she is close to retirement. So your thoughts?
1: So my thoughts is you're, people are most likely to get disabled than they are to pass away. So the likelihood of disability is a lot higher. One thing I would check on your policy is to make sure that you have own occupation, meaning if you do get disabled, and hopefully you do not, uh, that you're able to retrain and work in another capacity and still collect disability. If it was any occupation, you would not be able to do that. So hopefully you have own occupation. Um, I don't know what your coverage amount is, but uh, about a 137 a month is, is actually not a bad amount to pay for disability coverage, especially if it's a level premium. So the, the monthly premium is not that bad. Again, depends on what the coverage amount is. Um, you are close to retirement at 65. Um, I, I would... I would hate to recommend you dropping your disability policy because yeah. the likelihood of getting disabled is again more higher than than um uh, than passing. It also depends on as as Kent mentioned your uh, your health and what type of work you do if you're in a high risk occupation uh, but definitely check to see if that your own occupation covered. On your policy.
2: Yeah, I think that's great advice. In particular, and how I would break this down is that, you know, it didn't pro ball the coverage issues and things like that only because I don't have, you know, a calculator in front of me to really figure out, um, you know, how, how valuable this is. We'd have to do also a health assessment, things like that. Um, but, but I will say, in general, for a level premium, how it basically works is that you, in fact, um, essentially overpay relative to your mortality, or in this case, your mor- morbidity risk, that is your risk of becoming disabled um, early in the policy, uh, and you're actually underpaying relative to the actuarial risk later in the policy. Um, if if you're always overpaying relative to your actuarial risk, and insurance companies would make gobs of money, and more and more insurance companies would come into the market and bid down the price until that... That didn't happen anymore. It's a very, very competitive industry. And so especially if it's on the private pay um, outside of your work. And so as a result of that, um, you're probably underpaying relative to your actual risk um, right now. And so from a strict actual perspective, you probably want to keep the policy knowing nothing else more about you, assuming that you're kind of in normal health and so forth. If you were in super duper health, I mean, you're running marathons and you're basically saying, you know, I'm going to retire in three years anyway. Uh, but even then, honestly, yeah, I would say you're pretty close anyway to age 65. Um, on one hand, that you may think psychologically that would mean uh, you can, uh, you know, afford to just get rid of it. Why keep on paying this premium? You only may be getting a few years of coverage anyway. But all that's been baked in and how that premium was competitively bidded in the first place. And so in particular, uh, how, how long you're going to work as well as, you know, your mortality risk or morbidity risk in this case. And so I would say that uh, knowing nothing else, you're generally better off keeping the policy rather than allowing it to lapse at this point, um, simply because uh, of uh, these policies tend to be what's called lapse price supported. And that is they assume that a certain amount of people are gonna be lapsing while they're actually paying more than their actual mortality risk. And so that's how the insurance companies make money on these policies and as a result, because of competition, that means you tend to underpay relative to your morbidity risk later on. So uh, for the most part, you're probably better off keeping the policy uh, in place. So thanks so much, for calling, and I really appreciate it. And again, speaking with Ara Agorian, who's the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management in the Los Angeles, California area. I'd love to answer your question. Maybe... Grandma just left you a bunch of money and want to know what to do with her. You want to see if you know, check your, you know, reasoning about something needs some uh, someone to knock it down or maybe to validate it. Give us a call. Live I'd love to answer a question here at 1844 Worked, and that's 9042 7866 So all right, you, you mentioned that how your firm specializes in tailoring to the needs of healthcare professionals, doctors, dentists, nurses, veterinarians and so forth. So You've mentioned in the past in the show, you know, that just happened kind of by happenstance or close to UCLA and things like that. Uh, it's what's special about doctors in particular. Where are some of the risks that they potentially face that are maybe non-standard?
1: Oh, sure. There's there's quite a few of them. One is uh, disability insurance definitely comes up for physicians because uh, they want to protect that that uh, human capital that they have when they're young and yeah. uh, not only in addition to uh, life insurance but that disability insurance for them to be able to earn money later on so that's one factor of it uh, the other factor is the delayed gratification most physicians really don't start earning a lot of money until they're out with training and that can be several years out to, outside of undergraduate school so they don't really start saving until probably they're early 30s, depending on how much training they do. Maybe they're mid-30s. So there's several years of missing out on contributing to retirement accounts and, and saving. And then the last thing, the most important one, which most of our clients deal with, is just student loans. Most of these right. young physicians are graduating with you know two, three $300,000 of student loan debt, some private, some public. It's really navigating what's the best course of action to help them tackle that student loan debt, but also Make sure they're saving for retirement. So all the a combination of all those things together really complicates the uh, uh, um, the way we approach advising our clients yeah. that are in the healthcare market.
2: I mean, it, it is pretty crazy when you think about it, how uh, you know doctors routinely have a three hundred fifty thousand or so in you know student loans. Um, you know, paying them off well into their uh, 30s, so you have that issue, and certainly also if you become a sole practice uh, practitioner, which is becoming less and less common with uh, medical records, uh, electronic right. medical records requirements, and so forth. Uh, but then there, there's maybe some options there, setting up something a little bit more creative for retirement, including even a defined benefit plan. So lots of issues that face doctors, as well as of course liability. Uh, issues as uh, OBGYN and as well as neurosurgeons know very well, they pay through the wazoo in liability. Um, speaking with again our Agorian uh, founder and president, of ACAP Asset Management, live on Tuesdays. Love to answer a question here uh, about your own finances at one eight four four WORTH, and that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Joe, calling from Illinois. How can I help you, Joe? Yep. Yeah.
1: Hey guys, I was just adding to the last caller in yep. regards to disability insurance. <clears throat>
2: yeah.
1: When you, you guys are covering the health aspects of it, yeah. one of the things that, too, that that I didn't hear brought up was in regards to disability, you know, the loss of income. So if the last caller already had the retirement um, assets set aside, there may not be that need for that disability insurance anymore, even though the, the health issues could be there or not be there at the asset level support. Not eating that disability insurance was the only thing I was bringing up to the, the lady to answer the phone. Yeah, I, didn't I necessarily have a question. Car-
2: Yeah, sure. No, I I definitely hear you. In in particular, I was making the assumption that if she's concerned about the cost here, um, that she had already mentioned early on into the call that she had not saved up much for retirement. uh, And she was trying to figure out ways to kind of cut back in order to contribute more to her retirement. And I I definitely get that. I'm just not sure disability is the area I'd be cutting back on to try to beef up those assets. But I, I completely agree with you. Uh, had she not said that, we should be probing the assets a little bit more. On an actual basis, again, it's usually better to keep. Uh, a, a level premium policy um, when you're on the back end of it because uh, it's it, these policies tend to be heavily uh, lapse price supported. And so that means essentially you're overpaying uh, relative to your mortality risk or uh, morbidity risk if it's life insurance or disability insurance early into the policy and essentially underpaying uh, later on. But good point in general, Joe. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for calling. And again, speaking with Ara Agorian, who's the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management. Love to answer your questions. Live on Tuesday, pick up the phone. We'll talk about your own personal finances. You don't have to give us your name and the state you're calling from here at 1-844-WORKTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So certainly uh, somewhat related to the last caller. I mean, in that case, as she felt she didn't have enough in her 401K. There's a lot of times, you know, temptations uh, to borrow against Your 401k, maybe because you have a high interest credit card, and you're thinking about the interest rate arbitrage, or you know you're thinking about you know uh, other debts, or maybe even a splurge or two, uh, which of course we would try to uh, uh, cut back on. Uh, But Ari, your thoughts about kind of borrowing against a 401k plan in general? Don't do it. Yeah,
1: Uh, it's very easy. There's a huge temptation for people to borrow against their 401k, especially if that might be their largest asset they have, their largest nest egg. But what ends up happening is it ends up becoming a perpetual cycle. Someone may borrow from the 401k once, and then they realize how easy it is, and they'll tap into that again in the future. But now recognizing that every time they do that, they really stun the growth opportunity of their 401k to continue to grow. And in reality, it's really not earmarked for that day-to-day operating funds use. It's earmarked primarily for retirement and that's what, it, that's what it should be used yeah.
2: for. Yeah, and there's so many other risks as well. I mean, you mentioned, I think that's probably the most important one, the behavioral uh, issues associated with that. So it's so easy to kind of get into that uh, that mode of trying to think of it as, a, you know, easy money and so forth. Uh, at the same time, you know, there's also some legal risks, like if you were to be terminated or even leave the employer voluntarily, then it may no longer be a loan if you can't pay it all back within, depending on the, employer 30, 60 days, uh, it may be that you have to you know uh, uh, take it as a distribution at that point so you can pay an early uh, penalty fee, you can pay uh, income taxes, I mean, so many other risks associated with that. And again, speaking with our Igorian founder and president of ACAP Asset Management, love to answer your questions here at one eight four four 844 workton that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Kelly Cullen from Delaware. How can I help you, Kelly?
0: Hi, um, I've been self-employed for 25 years. Mm. I had 10 years into the state system, so when I'm 65, I'll get $400 a month for my pension. Okay. Um, but I will get full medical when my state pension kicks in.
2: Wow, good for you.
0: So that that was, thank goodness I left my money in that pension plan. <laughs> um, but in 25 years, I've done very well for myself. My mortgage is paid off on my primary house. I have a retirement house in another state, and that is paid off, and I have three rental houses that are paid off, and I have two commercial properties that are nothing enormous like apartment buildings, but um, one office building in a small town that my business currently occupies, and another warehouse on three acres that could be developed into more warehouses in another town that Mm -hmm. is industrial heavy, and we have a business there also. Does that sound like a solid plan for retirement, just maintaining the rental properties, and perhaps I'll be able to sell one of the businesses for a windfall profit? Yeah.
2: Talk to me about these businesses. You're self-employed. What kind of... Tell me about the cash flow from these businesses, and uh, you don't have to identify them in a lot of detail. I'm trying to figure out how risky these businesses are, how correlated they are with the economy, things like that. Give me some more information about okay. total cash flow for in your pocket uh, at the end of the day from these businesses, and how kind of risky is, are they?
0: Okay, so the primary business is a service business mm-hmm. um, for attorneys and uh, other businesses says yep. we do uh employment screening and I do investigative services for local okay. attorneys and okay. for the state.
2: Okay, so how um, much money is how much money is that bringing in every year to you?
0: About a million a year. Okay. Oh, to me? Yeah. 600,000.
2: 600,000, okay. Um and then uh what what about the other businesses uh add that up. How much they, is that bringing up?
0: The other Okay, so the other businesses are just starting. Each of our kids has a part in one of the businesses. One is um, a graphics business, so again, it's business to business. Sure. Right now, that's doing about 350, but we expect that to double because we just bought the warehouse space, um, and business had doubled in the first year, and we expect it to continue to double. Okay. In subsequent years, um, so right now, 350, but that is going up. Um, okay. The other one is a welding and fabrication, so again, business to business.
2: Yeah, pretty well diversified. That so is if doing you the
0: least right now, but yeah. that has the most potential for growth.
2: Okay, so if you add it all up right now, um, the take to actually you, not your kids and so forth, that's what uh, seven hundred thousand a year, or what is it? Oh yeah. Okay, seven hundred thousand yeah. a year. And how much have you saved up in something like a four hundred one k and Uh, things, things like that. Uh, it sounds like outside of the state plan, uh, do you have anything like in a 401k or IRA or things? That would be
0: a big fat zero. A big fat zero. I have have 20,000 in individual stocks, which I know is the worst way to buy
2: stocks. But that's right. So it's, but the the point is, is that you have an amazing cash flow. You say you're 51. How many more years until you retire?
0: I don't know. I can uh, keep doing what I do.
2: Okay. All right. For so let's say
0: twenty more years.
2: Okay. So let's uh, think about it it's, uh, for a fairly long time. And these businesses uh, are they? Set, how many employees? The one that's bringing in six hundred thousand dollars a year. You said it's several million. Uh, the all these businesses that have cash flow, they have multiple employees attached to them um, uh, outside of yourself and your family. Just, yes, but
0: not not tons of employees.
2: Okay. A small number
0: of employees in each one, but the house that where I did, I didn't just splurge all that money. Um, sure. We, I reinvested it in these properties.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, I I that, absolutely. Time. I'm just all trying to the, figure out the I'm options. I'm
0: buying physical things that I can touch yeah. and see and yeah, yeah. Well, that won't, you know, disappear one morning when I wake up.
2: Well, they might, but <laughs> it's uh, it's a it's a pr- <laughs> it's pretty focused on uh, real estate. That's for sure. But these other businesses seem like they aren't as focused on real estate, which is a good thing. Um, I'm just trying to figure out some opportunities, maybe the yeah, uh, obviously, we probably uh, want to look at some of those rental properties that are, are, your, are not being used to house any of your businesses and seeing those as a potential opportunity for selling, to diversify, get away from real estate a bit more. But I'm also trying to probe, essentially, that would be a longer discussion. I was sort of trying to probe, is there some opportunities for doing cr- something creative, given that you have tremendous cash flow, uh, you know? It, it's setting up a, 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 what's called a cash balance plan or even something like a 401k something like that and that, some of that comes down to thinking about uh, how those businesses are tied to other employees and so forth so Ari your thoughts uh, on this sure
1: so uh, I'm only going to go based on just what we know so sure. far it's only like a, a, a minute conversation but you have a lot of moving parts Kelly yeah. and um I, I'm actually a big fan of owning uh, private businesses, and I think uh, in the same way with uh, with uh, rental properties and residential properties. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend selling them, but I think it looks like you're reinvesting a lot of your cash flow into more properties, which I would not recommend you do, because a lot of the assets you currently have are very illiquid. Yeah. So if you have some sort of a cash crunch, you may end up having to do some sort of a fire sell to raise cash. So I'd recommend... The next few years, instead of reinvesting some of those that huge cash flow you have into more properties, start building up your marketable securities, your savings accounts, as Kent mentioned, maybe put up some uh, create some sort of a cash balance plan, but start beefing up that that liquid side of your balance sheet because if it 's only illiquid you 're really going to catch yourself in some kind of a bind, especially if we hit in another recession, which at some point it will happen. You just don't want it to happen when you when you need the money the most.
2: Yeah, and I think that it's really important advice, uh, Kelly, that I just gave you. There's a couple of issues. One, with focus so much on real estate, one, it is illiquid, and so you don't want to be stuck in a 2008 situation of doing fire sales uh, to raise money. Obviously, uh, you want to have a big emergency account, not just for your own personal savings, but for your business as well. You always want to have a lot of black powder. You know, talk six months of a expenses things like that um, sometimes even more than that even a year if that business is highly correlated with the rest of the economy and that's often the case with B- b2B uh, uh, businesses it really comes down to the the sector and so forth uh, but even assuming that you have a lot of black powder for your your business and personal expenses you can weather another recession uh, it, that's because that's really important there you still um, really have a very non-diversified asset class, uh, real estate, and I get the point. You want to you know, touch and feel and so forth. That's why, in many cases, you see a lot of foreign money into the United States. Often takes the form of property, especially money coming from Asia. Is a, often a culture of investing in property because it's more tangible and so forth. Often drive up property prices here in the United States uh, and London and so forth. But it's really non-diversified, and so what I, I'm and so yes I would I would be somewhat tempted to look at some of those rental properties and see about selling in order to diversify more but I don't think I'm going to convince you on that so I'm going to go with our approach and say you know what at least going forward all this cash flow let's figure out how to be um a, a smart with the cash flow going forward and in particular this tremendous cash flow, obviously you want to have a rainy day fund for both yourself and your business. But once you're beyond that, Uh, and a a good rainy day fund. But once you're beyond that, um, I would be looking to set up a retirement plan uh, and that could be a 401k that you can participate in uh, and you can just set up some money there. Uh, It it could also be something more creative known as a defined benefit or cash balance plan. Uh, We often don't think of defined benefit plans anymore because they're traditional pension plans. But these are the situations where those can be very valuable to you as the business owner because it can allow you to sock away a ton of money um, into these plans. Um, and there are much, it sounds like there will be complicated to set up and so forth. They've, they've become much easier to set up. A cash balance plan can be easily set up. But there are certain rules that you have to follow. In particular, if you have existing employees, you have to make sure how they're treated and, and so forth. Um, uh, sometimes employers get nervous when they have existing employees uh, about how, they're, uh, uh, how uh, they have to maybe contribute somewhat to their participation. The rules vary by from plan to plan. But they don't realize is that you, know, you can maybe start off a little bit small, scale them up over time, and employees often will appreciate that and they view it as a, as part of their entire compensation package, especially if well communicated, so over time it becomes part of their entire compensation package, and that will the, displace, you know, uh, constant wage increases over time. And it can also create some stickiness with their employees as well, because uh, you know they, they're a little bit more sticky in a DB uh, type structure, a little less so in a cash balance plan these days, but still, it's it's a little bit less portable. Let's say a 401k. There's still some more stickiness to it, and so I, I think it's it's a it's a something that you should be really thinking about how to sock away a bunch of more money in a tax deferred plans. And then worst case scenario, you know, hey, just set up a taxable brokerage account. I mean, uh, you if you view a lot of your current income and your properties as more like bond like income, uh, set up a taxable brokerage account or just a regular account at Vanguard and start buying something of the Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund, or something like that. I have no financial interest in Vanguard. Uh, and it's, it's a nonprofit anyway, but it, it, yeah, I would maybe start there. And uh, in, in particular, you can get uh, now a much broader diversified stock portfolio. It's still going to be risky, but it's going to certainly be less risky than just holding individual stocks and it's certainly going to diverse away, uh, away from um, your real estate exposure. So, thanks so much, Colin. Appreciate it, uh, Kelly. And again, speak with Ara Agorian, the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management, Los Angeles, California. And, Ara, as you know, especially in your space, uh, healthcare professionals, A lot of times, people see uh, that well, I can contribute to to my employer's four hundred and one k plan, or this rather strange four hundred and fifty seven b plan. We actually see this. In uh, lots of different uh, areas, including the healthcare space, sometimes universities, sometimes uh, states, and so forth. Explain that, those those choices there, and uh, what are the, what's a 457 plan? and How does how do you help someone figure out whether it's a 401k or a 457b that, that they should be contributing to?
1: Sure, so that, that's a great question. So a 401k is typically offered by for-profit companies. A 403B is offered by educational institutions, and a 457B is also offered by institutional, educational institutions and governmental institutions. Yeah. And the way that they work is that for a regular 403B or 401K, if someone is earning a high income, saving $19,000 a year in a 401K plan is really not that much for them to save per year to, to get to their retirement goals. So what the 457B plan is, it's a deferred compensation plan, which allows people to double up on their savings. So instead of being able to do $19,000 a year, they can do $36,000 a year, $38,000 a year into their uh, into their 401k and, I'm sorry, 403B and into their 457B plan. The catch, however, is... There's two types of 457b plans. There's a governmental and a non-governmental. If you work for a government and you have a 457b plan and you leave, you can take that 457b and roll it over into an IRA. If you have a non-governmental plan, such as you work at USC or another, uh, I think Yale University is also the same way. If you have, if you work for an educational institution and you have a 457b you cannot roll that money over into an IRA. You have to take a distribution once you leave because it's a deferred comp plan. Mm. But bottom line is if you have one offered to you because your income is above, it's, I think, about 260 a year, then I would highly recommend you contribute to it.
2: Yeah, and explain the deferred comp aspect. Uh, uh, of it, I mean, is, is it, it talk about kind of the risk. If is because sometimes people think, okay, w- what if I leave in six months? So explain that.
1: So again, it depends on whether if you work sure. for a governmental or non-governmental. But if you work for a governmental and you leave after six months, you can you have a couple of choices. Well, I've seen governmental 457Bs where they're allowing the person to just draw from that deferred salary, that deferred comp, and just treat it as regular compensation. Or I've also seen it where they're allowed to roll it over into an IRA. That's in the governmental plan. But in the non-governmental, if they leave, uh, even after a few months and they've contributed to it, they have to take it all as a distribution. So you can imagine if someone's been working at a non-governmental employer for several years and they've got a big chunk built up, they're going to have a huge tax bite once they leave that company and they have to take all that as distribution.
2: Have you helped uh, clients kind of kind of manage that uh, distribution? I mean, to try to figure out is there a way of spreading it out over, uh, over a couple of uh, tax years?
1: We we've helped only one person, and luckily it happened where they it was towards the end of the year when they left. So we recommended, and because you have ninety days for the distribution, right? We split it up so that way distribution ended up being the following year, right. and she didn't start a new job until. Uh, a few months into the following year. So that kind of helped even things out a little bit. But it's really tough to time it because Mm -hmm. when you leave a job, you're trying to start a new job and you don't want to delay that new job because you're trying to avoid your
2: income being yeah. bumped up to another tax bracket. Yeah, that is it's, it's, it's a challenging uh, risk to navigate. But if you're planning on being around for a while, uh, it's certainly not a huge one. Ara, fantastic job. Thanks so much for coming back in the show. And you can find Ara online by going to his website, which is ACAPAM, as in Mary, dot uh, com. Again, a m. Dot com And uh, I also want to thank Tom uh, Z- Gainer uh, for coming on the show from America's Best for our 1K. My auto engineer, Dan. I'm sorry, Jeff. Sorry, Dan's the old guy. We don't like Dan anymore. He left a long time ago. Jeff Simmons and my producer, Michelle Stucker, and the rest of the team at XM who have my back. Sorry, Dan, if you're listening. I was only kidding. Love you, man. And we'll see you next Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern.